I like that song. I like it a lot. Thank you, Lavana, so much for the truth of that. Boy, it's good to stand in the pulpit and uh, preach to faces. And I, I uh, bear witness with Pastor that it's just not the same preaching to a camera. And whether you want to believe it or not, it's not the same listening on your TV. Uh, it's just not. I, I love some of the nuances that come with being able to interact in that way and all of those things, but it is not the same. And so this is church, and this is where we belong tonight. It is a little bit different. I, not everybody's sitting in their spots. And in a Baptist church, that's just, that's not okay. So I sense maybe some bitterness going on. Or, so do we need, we need to do, yeah, Dwayne says amen. I never see you in the front row for sure. Yeah, you're right where you need to be as close to the altar as possible, Brother Dwayne. Uh, good to see you, though. I know there are a lot of folks that would like to be here tonight, but, but don't feel it appropriate because of their health, their immune systems, or whatever. So let's pray for them, uh, that God would keep them healthy during this time. That was a timely cough. And uh, <laughs> Rona already got me and left, so uh, <laughs> it's gone, man. Uh, you're, you're safe with me, but um, anyway, pray for those that, that have uh, coughing not related to allergies, um, and then pray for all those who have coughing related allergies, because people are treating us like lepers, so, um, but good to see you. If you're a guest tonight, thanks for being here. Uh, don't take for granted your presence. This is a different time for us, for sure, um, but we're so thankful you're here. If you're uh, here for the first time, I want you to fill out a Connect card. Those will be located in the, in the seat in front of you. And so, so thankful uh, that you're here tonight and hope that uh, the service will be a blessing to you. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this is message number 10 in our series, A Thriving Church. The title of tonight's message is Tomorrow's Certainty and Today's Living. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I want to have you write down, uh, this is a a non-sermon related idea real quick that I meant to give you before I had you turn to the passage, but I want you to take note of a couple dates coming up this summer uh, that we really, really need to give our full attention to, and if we're not careful, they're going to sneak up on us, and as a church, the, these, are, these are all hands on deck celebratory days that we don't want to miss, and that's June 7th is the first one. That'll be uh, Pastor and my mom's last uh, ministry anniversary that they get to celebrate uh, here at Fellowship Baptist Church, and uh, I want you to be here for that primarily to celebrate them, but, but secondly, because I'm going to preach a message out of 1 Thessalonians um, in verses number 12 and 13. It's supposed to be preached next week, but we're going to save it to the very end, and it'll be the last message we preach out of the 1 Thessalonians series, and we're going to preach it on June 7th, and it's going to be titled, The, the People and Their Pastor. And, and that's what Paul was writing for in verses 12 to 13 of chapter 5. And it's going to be a fitting message, not only for that day, but also to look ahead to a monumental day, at least the most, uh, not the most important day, but certainly the biggest day in the last 20 years of our church, and that's Transition Sunday. Um, we're really calling it Transition Weekend, because it starts on Friday night, July 31st, and uh, Pastor and, and some of my mentors that are coming in are going to be ordaining me uh, for the gospel ministry on that night. And uh, so that, that really, if you study in the book of Acts, and I'm sure Pastor will, will preach this along the lines closer to that date, but that really is a church event. 
it's, it's, it's not a time for just the one getting ordained or his wife or, or the people coming in as the ordination council. This really is an event. And I'm not saying it because it's me. I'm saying it because it, it, it's really the church's way of, of putting their blessing and stamp of approval on, on the man of God that they're entrusting to lead them. And, and again, that, that can be misunderstood as self-praise. And it's certainly not. I just want it to be a church event because in Acts, it's a church event. Just like the Lord's Supper is a church event. It, ordination's not, not an ordinance like that, but it ought to be attended by the church. That's Friday night. And then on Saturday, we're, we're having a concert uh, from the Jim Brady uh, group. Well, actually, it used to be a trio, but it's now him and his wife. And I chose them, one, because uh, him and his wife are close to my dad and my mom. And on top of that, they were singing in our, from our church as a ministry of our church for many, many years. And so they have a connection to my parents in the ministry here. So that'll be a, a free concert on Saturday night. So don't miss that. And then, of course, Pastor will preach on Sunday morning his last message as the pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church as we transition. And then I'll preach my first message on Sunday night. Um, and we're going to uh, put together some, some tribute videos and, and some different gifts uh, to give to them that night. And then after that Sunday night, we're going to have a ceremony, not a ceremony, a reception uh, in the fellowship hall and I, yeah, a graduation ceremony. Um, but we're going we're gonna to have a reception and that's going to be where we are going to bring our I love my pastor offering. And we're going to have a table there designated for us to drop off cards and offerings. And I want to do that way for a couple of reasons. Primarily because I wanted you to be able to pin your thoughts on a card. And you can't pin that on, on an offering envelope. And I want you to make it personal. I want you to think through that. And I'll be talking more about that when I preach the message on June 7th. But typically we started a, an annual I Love My Church offering a couple of years ago. And uh, we are foregoing that this year and because we want to honor our pastor. Uh, monetarily, what we, I believe that love is practical and it's tangible. It's more than just a phrase that we say. And, and this is a great way to do that. And so um, I'll speak more about that on June 7th. But I want you to mark those dates down, would you? June 7th and the weekend of July 31st through August 2nd. If you're ready for preaching, say amen. amen. Enough of that stuff out of the way. As many of you know by now, I was saved as a seven-year-old boy at 326 Beach Street, right behind this building, the foot of my parents' bed. I've also preached a message, some of you know my testimony, that from age 9 to 19, I struggled with a very real doubt and fear about the certainty of my salvation, even though I was saved. And, and, and since I've begun a journey of faith and I've reached that blessed assurance, um, I struggled for 10 good years, solid years, with really doubting whether or not I was saved. And during that time, of course, I, I was brought to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever the doors were open. And, and the messages that I heard that scared me the most were messages on two topics, the rapture and the tribulation. So we would bring in guys from time to time that, that majored in prophecy, which number one, that drives me nuts, but... Um, Number two, they would preach these emotional sermons about people getting caught away. And it's a real story, like it's going to happen. We talked about it two weeks ago. The rapture, we are going to be caught away. Those who are alive and remain will be caught up and meet Christ in the air right after their dead loved ones who burst out of the grave will meet them in the air. So go back and listen to that sermon. Like it's a real event, but a lot of times they'll preach it like you don't want to be left behind. And then we went and they would play these sound bites, you know, of people screaming in hell and... And 
you know, Tim LaHaye movies. You seen those, Left Behind? I couldn't sleep for 14 days after watching those movies. And then the, the tribulation period, I can remember folks preaching about that, and we ought to preach about that, and that's what we're talking about tonight. But, but we'd preach that, and man, I'm telling you, I'd go home, and I just couldn't even sleep at night. Because I, I was always thinking I was getting left behind. As a 9 and 10, 11-year-old boy, sometimes I'd, I would go out into the hall and just stick my head out there to make sure my mom and dad were still snoring. If they were snoring, they were still here, that means that the rapture hadn't happened, and I don't have to endure the tribulation. I could go back to bed. And that fear seems childish, and it seems elementary. And maybe in your heart you're rolling your eyes, so to speak. But that uncertainty and that level of doubt regarding end times, and especially the tribulation, is the exact same things these young believers were facing at Thessalonica. Not because they were doubting their salvation like I was, but because of a combination of two things. We'll talk about it in 2 Thessalonians when we start that, but in chapter 2 we're given the indication that there were false teachers teaching them false teaching about the tribulation and the end times. And then you combine that with, with, with what we've studied about their present circumstances in 1 Thessalonians, how they were going through persecution. Most likely the kind of persecution that, that was killing many in their church and, and their saved loved ones. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. And so because their present circumstances looked and felt much like the tribulation and because false teachers were preying on their vulnerabilities, they began to grow fearful that they were currently living under God's judgment in what Paul called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has been mistaken to mean the rapture, but it's not. It's also been mistaken to be a single 24-hour day, maybe the second coming of Christ to earth. But the day of the Lord is speaking about a period of time where a series of events will take place beginning at the tribulation and culminating in the second coming of Christ to earth. Now listen, it's different than the rapture. We talked about the rapture in chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. The rapture is all about deliverance where the saints will be caught up. And have a reunion with Christ and their loved ones in the air. But the day of the Lord doesn't come until right after the rapture. And it's not about deliverance. It's about God's judgment beginning with the seven-year tribulation period. Those in the Thessalonian church, based on their present circumstances, thought that tribulation period had already begun. And in fear, here's what they became obsessed with. Times and dates. Sign-seeking clock watching, they were trying to to narrow it down to the exact time period that Christ would come. And I don't blame them. They wanted to know whether or not they missed the rapture. So they might not put their head in the hall seeing that their parents were snoring, but they were doing the same exact thing in a different way. They wanted to know. Did I, am, I, am I enduring the tribulation or am I going to escape it? And so when Timothy went and checked in on this church on behalf of Paul, He noticed their fear. He noticed their certainty. And when he went back to Corinth to report back to Paul, Paul said, I've got to write to them about this. I've got to speak to their fear. I've got to address their uncertainty. And so he did. And he tells them in essence, watch here, Thessalonians, you have nothing to worry about. You may not know exactly when the day of the Lord will come, but you can know where you'll be when it does. Look at verses 1 through 5. Study your Bible with me tonight. But of the times and seasons, brethren, that's times and dates, 
Ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Watch this. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Look up here. Here's what Paul says. You're obsessed with something you'll never know. In fact, you want to be certain about something that Jesus Christ himself doesn't even know. Jesus, when his disciples were curious about the timing of the day of the Lord, Jesus said, hey, I don't even know. My Father in heaven's the only one that knows when I'll be coming back and the day of the Lord will begin. Paul says the only thing you need to worry about is how Christ is coming, and he's going to come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. Hey, a good thief doesn't announce his coming. His unexpectedness is his strategy. Then Paul says the day of the Lord will be inescapable. And he uses the metaphor of a pregnant woman. Just like when a baby's ready to come out of mama's womb. The mama starts to feel pains. And she tries to put them off and put them off. But there comes a time when the baby says, I want out. And when the baby says, I want out, the baby's coming out. You can't start patting your baby in, or, or belly and negotiating with your baby. Can you give me a couple more days of rest before you come? When the baby's coming, it's inescapable. And Paul says that there will be those who will be living in this false sense of peace and this false sense of security when unexpectedly the rapture happens, but they weren't raptured. They will feel just like a pregnant woman sitting at the table, going about her day, and the water breaks. Uh-oh. There's no going back. It's inescapable. But Paul transitions and says, Thessalonians, that's not you. You're safe. Did you catch that in the text? You're no longer a children, a child of the darkness. You are now a child of the light. The day you placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, you have nothing to fear about your future. No, you, you can take blessed assurance that because of who you are in Christ, you're not going to be overtaken by the day of the Lord. You're going to be taken out by the Lord. Paul's telling them, you may be uncertain as to when the day of the Lord will come. But you don't have to be uncertain about where you'll be when it does. And I would say the same thing to you if you're saved tonight. Notice I said if you're saved tonight. If you are indeed a child of the light, you have nothing to fear about the day of the Lord. You know why? You'll be in the presence of the Lord. I believe, as Paul teaches, and definitely is what is inferred in this text, that the rapture will happen before the tribulation begins. His whole point in writing chapter 4 and chapter 5, you can see it at the end of each of these texts, is that they could comfort one another with these truths. It's not comforting if you know you're going to have to endure the tribulation, it just doesn't make sense logically. I believe the church will be raptured and those who rejected Christ will face his judgment. But if you're saved, you don't have to fear that. And kindly, I would say, if you're not saved, you have everything to fear. I don't take for granted that on a Sunday night, every single person in here is a child of the light. And I don't shy away for one second to preach the gospel on a Sunday night service. Listen to me closely. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, 
If you've not placed your faith in him and him alone, if you've placed it in something your parents said you did or your grandparents said you did or some kind of baptism early on in life or some kind of list of sacraments that you're trying to be faithful to, if you're, if you're basing it on church membership or any kind of benevolent deed, listen to me, that's not salvation. And if the day of the Lord were to begin right now following the rapture, listen, friend, you have everything to fear if you don't know God. Because in our study of the tribulation, which will take place in 2 Thessalonians, when we begin that study, you'll you'll see more details about these events in the day of the Lord. And I'm telling you, it it will rattle you. And I hope that everyone under the sound of my voice knows the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. That would be a pretty good place to end the writing if I were Paul. Right? He's spoken to their uncertainties. He addressed their fears. That as long as you have nothing to worry about. Yet he, he continues to write about this topic. You know why? Because he didn't want to just comfort them with this truth. He wanted to instruct them on how to live in light of this truth. He, he wanted what they knew about the future to inform them for how they should live in the present. In fact, I'll say it this way. Your certainty about your future with Christ should impact how you live For Christ. You see, as Christians, our responsibility, watch here in 2020, is not date setting. It's not clock watching. It's not sign seeking or YouTubing. Ultimately, our responsibility is living. And in verses 6 through 11, Paul gives three ways that we ought to live in light of our certain future. And the first is found in verse 6. Look at it. Therefore... Because of your certainty, let us not sleep as do others, but let us, what's that next word? Say it again, what's that next word? Live with alertness. Live with alertness. That word watch doesn't mean that we look up into the sky and just hold on until Jesus comes and do nothing. It actually implies just the opposite because it was a word that was often used to refer to a watchman or a guard in a watchtower in those days. I know some guards have this stigma, you know, security guards are sleeping the night away while everything else happens under their watch. But, but a good guard is actively alert. And that's how believers, watch here, are to live in light of Christ's coming as opposed to unbelievers who Paul said were sleeping. And isn't that true? I mean, doesn't it seem like God is sounding the sirens of his judgment, yet the world is sound asleep? Doesn't it seem like God's promised return is being met with a yawn? That shouldn't be said of believers, though. Knowing that the the, the certain return of Christ is imminent, it could happen at any moment, that should motivate us to stay awake. It should motivate us to stay alert. Yet I'm afraid that many Christians are sleeping their lives away while neglecting the calling that God's placed on their life. God has called every one of us to reach a lost and dying world, yet we're sleeping. He's called every one of us to get plugged into a church and its mission, yet we're sleeping. He's called us to lead our families, yet we're sleeping. In in fact, I would say like this, many Christians are sleepwalkers. It's not that they're dead, they're just unaware. It's not that they're lost, they're just indifferent. It's not that they don't come to church at all, they just don't do anything when they come. It's not that they don't care for the lost, they just don't care enough about them to get out of their own comfort zone to tell them about Christ. Wake up, Paul says. 
in light of what you know about Christ's return, get on the edge of your seat and live with alertness. And then he tells us a second way that our present living should be impacted about our, from our, by our certain future, rather. Verse 7 and 8. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. Watch this. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. You know what that word sober means? It means self-control. And Paul compares how the believer, watch, should live with sobriety and restraint as opposed to how the unbeliever lives in drunkenness. Now, Paul isn't just talking about alcohol. Certainly that involves the word drunkenness, but he's, he, he's using drunkenness in a broader way to refer to how the lost world lives without any restraint. And isn't it true that those who walk in darkness are intoxicated with pleasure and they're drunk on materialism and they're wasted on immorality? And that's nothing new. Jesus used those in Noah's day as an illustration for those in his day. In Matthew chapter 24, he says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Listen, that's how the lost live their lives in Noah's day. It's how the lost live their lives in Jesus' day. And unfortunately, it's how those in darkness are living their lives in our day. But may it be said of those of us who walk in the light, those of us who standing with God is sure that we are not given over to the lust of our flesh. We are not given over to the lust of our eyes. We are not given over to the pride of life. Hey, understanding that the return of Christ could happen this this very day, may it be said of us as children of light that we are saying no to sin and yes to righteousness, restraining the flesh and yielding to the Spirit. May He find us rejecting temptation so that we may walk in holiness. He goes on to explain what that might look like in verse 8. He, he talked about, well, let's just read it. He said, But let us who are the day be sober, watch, putting on the breastplate of Faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So we get specific. Now I want you to notice a participle in your Bible that Paul uses often in his writings. And he uses it intentionally. He uses the participle putting on. Study with me. That participle implies continual action. You can study it yourself. When Paul tells them to put on the armor of, of faith and love and hope, he's not telling them to do something new. He's telling them to continue in something they were apparently already doing. He's saying, keep putting this on. And he was right. Do you remember our very first message out of 1 Thessalonians? Paul commended them at the opening of this letter for thriving in this triad of Christian virtues. And he says, i got to write to you because I'm so thankful that you're thriving in the areas of faith and love and hope. But here he adds the metaphor of a soldier's armor. And here's what he's saying. You've been faithful to put on the armor of God and gird yourself with these three virtues since the day of your salvation. But don't stop now. I know you're comforted by the fact that, that, that you're not going to have to endure the tribulation. But don't let that comfort turn into complacency because you're still in a battle. You haven't gotten raptured out of here. So live soberly as a soldier and even so much the more until you see the day come and just because we're safe Christians from God's judgment on earth and that's reassuring 
doesn't mean that we should get complacent about pursuing the virtues of righteousness in our life today. Are you hearing me? We live in a battle. The war is still raging. The devil hasn't sat down and taken a break. And we as believers are still called by God to stand against the wiles of the devil. We're called by God to live soberly and vigilantly knowing that our enemy is walking about seeking who he may devour. We are still expected as soldiers of Christ to get out of bed every day and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. We can't stop fighting. Be comforted by the fact that you will not have to endure God's judgment. But don't be so comfortable. That you take off your armor. Paul says you need to live with alertness. You need to live with self-control. And he ends with this thought. Live with confidence. Look at verse number 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Hallelujah to that. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him. Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. So he, he ended how he began. And he reminded them one more time. Hey, you don't have to endure the wrath of God. And number two, you will live in his presence forever. Now, now when I think about the reassurance that this must have caused the Thessalonians to feel. You know what I think about? The reassurance I get when the police officer gives me a warning and not a ticket. You know what I mean? What, what, what sweeps over you when you see the blue lights in your rearview mirror? Shock, guilt, nervousness, frustration. You hit the steering wheel. You're absolutely convinced you deserve a ticket and you're going to get one. And then he gives you relief by saying, I'm just going to give you a warning today, but slow it down. Thank you, Ossifer. Thank you very, very much. I meant to say it that way. For these Thessalonian believers, they saw the warning lights of God's judgment. They thought they were in it. Fear, anxiety, confusion, it swept over them. Then Paul writes to them, you've been saved from that. <laughs> this is not a citation. It's a warning. You've been delivered. You're good. Can you imagine the relief that came upon them? And listen, if you're a believer, I said, if you're a believer tonight, you can live with that same sense of relief, with that same confidence. You've been saved from the wrath of God. Not because you deserve it. Not because you've done anything to earn it, but bless his name. Jesus Christ paid our penalty for us, Paul said. Bless his holy name that he drunk the bitter cup of God's wrath. Not just a portion of it, but the entire cup so that we wouldn't have to take one drink. Somebody say amen. And Paul says, now comfort one another with that. Live in that confidence. Quit doubting. Quit going to bed scared. Quit leaving a sermon from church all Shaken up. If you're saved, you're saved. And you don't have to experience the wrath of God. I began to think practically. What does it look like for that believer to then know this and then live out in confidence? You know what I thought of? I thought of that moment when you're unable to watch the big game on TV. Now, if you're not a sports person, just indulge me and the rest of us. Although you may have missed the game live because you came to church. Because you came to church. You were still able to record the game. 
so you could watch it later. Now, isn't that amazing? We, uh, recording the games today are so much easier than they were back in the day. My mom recorded all John Elway's Broncos games, and she did it with a VHS tape. You remember that, some of you older folk in here? You remember that? You, 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 Manuel, you know what a VHS tape is? It's a, it's a big square-looking thing. Yeah. That's what my mom used. It's a little easier today, but you know, if you're like me, when you record a game, you don't really desire to see the score until you've watched the game. So, so you attempt to avoid all TVs, keep your radio off, you don't get on your phone, and you get into your couch in your man chair, and with the remote in hand, of course, to fast forward through the commercials, you settle into your favorite chair to view the action. However, as you turn on the TV, and this has happened to me, you somehow forget that it was tuned to ESPN. And before you could switch it, the final score of the big game scrolls across the bottom of your screen and your evening is ruined. Or is it? Because the good news is that you now know that your team won the game. The bad news is that the anticipation and the thrill of watching the game is gone. But if you're a true sports fan, you'll most likely still enjoy watching the game but you'll just watch it with a different attitude and perspective. In fact, it might even be a little more enjoyable for you to watch, or at least for your wife. Because when your team suffers a setback, you'll recognize that it's only temporary. When your team falls behind, you won't get discouraged because you know the final outcome. Hey, when the ref makes a bad call, you won't throw your remote through the wall or even cuss one time because you know it doesn't affect the final score. In a very real sense, when the future's not in doubt, the present is much more enjoyable. The Thessalonians' present discouragement was the result of their future uncertainties. But listen, no matter how difficult their present circumstances might have become, they could face them with the promise of a secure future. And let me say the same thing to you, church, and I'm done. Don't let the uncertainty of your current circumstances override the certainty of your future destiny. Live with confidence. I'm so glad, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that at age 19 I knelt down at a campground in Colorado on my birthday. And I said, God, I'm sick of doubt and I'm sick of struggling. I'm sick of being fearful of this. Would you help me? And it's not like a, a, a blessed assurance swept through my body mysteriously and all of a sudden I was 100% confident. I still struggle with doubt. But on that day, my dad helped me enter into a journey of faith. And I began to feed that faith with the word of God and the people of God and the music of God and prayer with God. And as I began to feed my faith, guess what? It got bigger and it got bigger and I starved my doubt and it got smaller and it got smaller and now I can see through any scary sermon and I don't have to wake up and see if my wife's snoring because a certain future gives you confidence to enjoy present living and if you're not saved in here would you get saved tonight that's my message I know Paul wrote to believers and I preach to believers, but if you're not saved, I'm burdened for you. You have people in here surrounding you that would rejoice if you got saved tonight. Well, they think I'm already saved. Well, we would rejoice if you got saved. And I don't want you to doubt for another day. I don't want you to be scared for another day. I want you to know and live in the certainty of your salvation. And believer, 
You may not know when the day of the Lord will come, but you do know enough about it that you should want to live with alertness. So let me ask you, believer, are you sleeping? Are there areas in your life where you're just a sleepwalker? Wake up. You know enough to to go out and and to live with sobriety and live with self-control. Are there areas of your life, even through this quarantine, that you've just kind of let go? No Bible reading? No prayer? You've taken your armor and you put it aside for another day? And one day of doing that has turned into two, which turned into four, which turned into eight, which turned into 16. And this entire quarantine, you can't remember when you went to your prayer closet last. Live with self-control. And God help us live with confidence. And if you don't respond in any other way but this way tonight, you need to come to the altar and say, God, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for drinking the cup of wrath Sometimes, listen, we need to go study Gethsemane because that cup of wrath was painful for him. And we need to get on our knees and say, thank you for drinking that so I didn't have to. So church, let's respond to God's word. Because the best way and the first step of being a doer, not a hearer only, is talking to God about the message. And that's how we should respond. Let's stand to our feet, every head bowed and every eyes closed. Christians, you come to the altar. We're going to have staff up here if you don't know that you're saved. Would you come and, and, and just come to me? I'll turn off my mic and direct you to somebody that can help you. I would love to, love to show you in a very private way how you can know that you're saved. Would you do that? Christians, if God's led you, if God's spoken to your heart tonight, would you find a place at the altar? Would you make an altar out of your chair where you're at?